Well, welcome to Grace this morning. We're glad that you're here. Uh, this morning, we are going to wrap up our series uh, on, called Borrowed Time, and we've been going through the book of 2 Timothy in the New Testament. And the whole series, what I've said the last four weeks, is that uh, is, the whole series is based off this one premise, and that is that life is short. Okay, life is short. Right? In fact, our life is a lot like this hourglass. We've been looking at the hourglass where at some point our life begins, right? We're born. And, uh, and every single one of us, we can count how much time we have in here, right? In the bottom of the hourglass, we know. We know how long we've lived and, you know, what we've done. But none of us can see how much time we have left. We're on the same boat. We don't know. We don't know if we're, we have tomorrow or not. Every day is a gift. And so knowing that and really understanding that as a Christian, it should really give us a sense of urgency uh, to our life, knowing that our life is slowly draining away. Our time that we have, which is only a limited amount of time, all right, it's not forever, all right, it's slowly tick, tick, ticking away. And when we understand that, and really, you know, it, it should really change our understanding of life, and it should change the way that we think about life. It changes what we do as we live our life. And in a sense, that's what Paul is warning this young guy named Timothy about in the, in the letter of Second Timothy. Um, the year when Paul writes this is 66 AD. Paul, he's writing this letter from a Roman prison. We've gone through this. Um, he, uh, there's a lot going on when Paul writes this letter. We talked last week out two years before he writes this letter. All right, there's, uh, in Rome, there's this huge fire. It burned up 70% of the city. And uh, a lot of people died. It's just a really bad thing. And a lot of the Roman citizens, most of the Roman citizens actually, they blamed their emperor Nero um, who was the emperor at that time, for the fire. In fact, most, most historians believe that Emperor Nero, he actually started the fire. Most people believe that back then too. And so when everybody started blaming Nero, what Nero did is he actually shifted the blame onto this new group of people that was spreading throughout the Roman Empire called Christians on this new belief. And he blamed it on those people. And so for the last two years, Nero has been rounding up as many Christians as he could possibly find. And he has been putting them to death in horrible, terrible, awful, unbelievable ways that we can't even imagine how it would be uh, this year, or, you know, for us in, in our time. Like just terrible things. And we looked at some of those, we talked about some of those last week. And so Paul is one of the latest Christians that Nero and his government and his people have found. And now he is in prison. He's had a preliminary hearing already. Doesn't sound like that has gone very well. And uh, it's clear to Paul that he is not going to survive this. Like he knows he's expecting to be executed soon. He knows he's on death row. And many of the people that Paul was traveling with and was working with, a lot of those people, they just straight up left. Right? They abandoned Paul. They don't want anything to do with being in prison. They don't want anything to do with Emperor Nero or being caught or anything like that. And so in Paul's life, it just looks like from the outside, at least to us, it would look like that everything is just going wrong right? from the human standpoint. And so that's the context of kind of everything that's going on in Paul's life and in the world and the Roman Empire, at least, um, at that time as one day Paul sits down in his hole of a dark prison cell. It's cold. It's wet. He, do, he knows he doesn't have much time left. He knows that, uh, that you know, he, he could be executed tomorrow. And he's got Timothy, this young guy, on his mind. And Timothy was a guy who Paul had, uh, who was pouring, Paul was pouring into. He'd been training him and coaching him, investing in, and, and almost like an adoptive son to Paul. And uh, he begins to write his last words uh, to Timothy. And remember, we've gone through this. Uh, he starts off by talking about his purpose, right? He's like, hey, Timothy, you got a job to do, 
Okay, like there's, you got work, all right? There's, there's work to do here. And the same thing goes for us as a Christian. Like, I just want to make sure we all are on the same page here, that we all understand. I did this last week as well. But as a Christian, all right, which isn't everybody in this room necessarily, okay? As a Christian, meaning those of us who at some point in our life, we can look back and we remember the moment where we gave our lives to Jesus, okay? Where we came to the decision that we wanted a relationship with God. We're not just born a Christian. We don't, don't become a Christian because we go to church sometimes and you were a good person generally and people look up to us or whatever, okay? That's not how we become a Christian. We become a Christian when we purposely make that decision to follow Jesus and, and we accept what he did for us on the cross 2,000 years ago. And so for those of us who are Christians, all right, most of us in here hopefully, all right, our number one job, all right, like, like focus in here, okay? If you don't get anything out of today, at least leave knowing this. Our number one job, what you are responsible for, based on what Jesus told us, okay? God himself told us this, is, uh, is, is you need to do whatever you possibly can to reach as many people as you possibly can for Jesus. That's your work, okay? That's your job. And so whenever I'm referring to work today, okay, that's what we're talking about. That's what Paul was talking about. We need to do whatever we possibly can to reach as many people as we possibly can for Jesus. That's what we as Christians, that's our purpose. That's why we're here, all right? It's the most important thing that we could do. It's the only thing that we could do that lasts, you know, after we die, right? And so Paul, he's explaining this to Timothy, and he's saying, hey, if you want to be, like, useful to God, like, you're going to have to work. Like, that's what you got to do, all right? It's work. It's hard work, all right? In fact, uh, you know, a lot of us, we think we can become a Christian, and, and everything just gets easier, and, and you know, and everything is like roses. This is not how it is, all right? We have to wor- work. God wants us to work, and, uh, and, and he promises us, like what we looked at last week, that even, even when we work and when we're doing our work, that life's actually going to get harder sometimes, and we're going to have to suffer, and that's okay, because God's got us, and we have his words, right? We have the Bible. This is, you know, this is God-breathed. He says, straight from God. This is what keeps us on the straight path, right? This is what we can rely on, not on our opinions, not what we think should be. It's the Bible, okay? It doesn't change, and so Paul's explained all this to Timothy, to this young guy named Timothy, and, um, and now Paul finishes up his letter. And so today what we're, looking, what we're going to be looking at, just remember uh, in chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4, is that, um, is that these are, right, the whole letter's his last words, all right? But these are like his last words of the last words, right? So, so these are super important to Paul. This is what Paul wants Timothy to at least, you know, walk away with. And, um, and it's one of the greatest really chapters in the entire Bible, and I'm not going to do it justice, okay, but, uh, but it's, you know, I'm going to try my best. But before we get into that, um, I just want to ask you, like, if you knew you are going to die tomorrow or whenever, you know, soon, all right, what would be your last words to, like, your son or your daughter? What would it be? Like, have you ever thought about that before? It's kind of weird. You know, probably most of us, we don't think about that kind of stuff, but what would be your last words to your son or daughter? Um, I've heard this uh, many times, is that when People are faced with death, all right, that it brings like a clarity to thinking, okay? It brings like a clarity to our thinking. So what would you, like, think about that for a second. Like, what would you say, all right, if you knew you're going to die tomorrow, what would you say about the peop- to the people that you care about if you knew that you only had a few days left? See, probably for most of us, all right, kind of the automatically, think, you know, things that we think about 
um, you know, we, we go, it's not just surface level, like surface level would be like, hey, don't forget to take out the dog and clean your room and be a good person, you know, but, you know, we go, we go a little bit deeper than that and say like, you know, well, you know, I just want them to know that I love them and that I, and that I care about them and I want to, you know, comfort them because I'm about to die and, and stuff like that. But notice how Paul doesn't do that, right? He goes even deeper than that, right? He's not like trying to comfort Timothy. Timothy temporarily, because that's what it would be, right? Temporary comfort. No, Paul's like, no, 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 no. You got to understand, there's a, like, job here, right? He's like, we're all running the race. Like, we're all going. There, there's, there's a mission here, and, and, this, and that's what he wants Timothy to understand is that we got job thing. The same thing we've been looking at for the last uh, four weeks. So this is what he says, all right? He's like this. He says, I solemnly charge you. Who's you? You're you, okay? I'm you. Where are you? Um, he's talking to the church. And he's talking to Timothy. So I solemnly charge you before God in Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead, meaning everybody, and because of his appearing and his kingdom. So right off the bat, here we got Paul. He's, saying, he's trying to get Timothy to understand the importance and the seriousness of what he is about to say. All right? He's about to, he, he wants Timothy to understand the importance and the seriousness of this next charge of, of this command that he's about to give him. That's why he says the word, I solemnly charge, right? He's like, I solemnly charge you. He, and, and then he's like, before God and who is Jesus, really in the Greek it's before God who is Jesus, not in Christ Jesus. Um, and, and so he's, he's pointing to God. He's like, and God's my witness, right? I solemnly charge you, God, creator of the universe, you know him, uh, he is my witness, who, by the way, is going to judge you, for what I'm about to say, right? It's like he, above all, he wants Timothy to understand this, this next thing that he's going to say. So he says, this is what you need to do. Preach the word. Now, a lot of us, right, right off the bat, right, we hear this and we're like, well, that's your job. <laughs> you know, that's, I'm not a, pa we think, oh, that's for pastors or that's for preachers. Like they're the ones that need to preach. You know, we automatically distance ourselves. We're like, well, that's, you know, that's not, that's not me. All right. So, okay. So somebody else needs to preach the word. All right. I, I, I get that. That's not, that's not actually what this means. Actually the word preach in the Greek, it means proclaim or communicate. All right. Tell people. All right. So tell people the word. And what's the word? Word. All right. That is the gospel. It's what we've been talking about for the last four weeks, right? Gospel, by the way, is just a churchy word. You know, we, we think of that word as churchy, and we're like, ah, what exactly is that? Gospel literally means good news, the good news. 2,000 years ago when Jesus, you know, lived a perfect life, he, he uh, was put to death on the cross, and then he, uh, he rose a, again the third day, you know, and, and he did that for our sins. He did that for everything that we've ever done wrong. He paid for everything that we've ever done wrong. Well, why do you have to do that? Well, because God's a perfect, and he's, he's the perfect righteous judge, right? And, a, and a, righteous, a perfect judge has to punish evil. He can't just, you know, sweep when we do something wrong. He can't just sweep that under the rug. He can't just say, oh, I'll give you another chance, or I'll give you a million more chances. It's not, it's not, uh, it's not what a perfect judge would do. It has to be paid for. And so 2,000 years ago, God Right? He paid for everything that we've ever done wrong as he died on the cross. We put him to death, but God poured out his wrath on himself that was deserved for each and every one of us so that we don't have to pay for that. So we don't have to go to hell, okay? That's, that's how we would do that, right? 
And in fact, we get to spend eternity with him. So that was really, really good news. It's the best news we can ever know. I mean, it's awesome that God somehow, for some reason, would just love us so much to do that. He didn't have to do that. He just chose to. All right, so this good news is what they, they just started calling it. They didn't have a name for it. What do we say? The story, you know, they just called it the good news. And so that's what Paul's talking about. He says, you need to tell others the good news. Preach the good news. Tell about the good news. It's important. See, many Christians, um, let me just say this. Many Christians, we live the life I talk to a lot of people where it's like, well, you know, um, the way I do that is, you know, I just live a good life, right? Like, yeah, I live a good life, so that's how I spread the gospel. And I feel pretty good about that, and, you know, people will notice, and my life's different, and, and maybe they'll ask me, and I'll, I'll tell them, you know, but, but I, that's just how I want to spread the light. Notice that that's not what he says here. <laughs> you notice that? Like, yeah, the Bible says that we should live right, and that's a part of telling others. Like, no disagreement there. We all, we all understand that. But that's not what Paul says here. He says, no, no, no. Yeah, that's all part of it, sure, but, and that's important, but you need to tell others. Right? Like, it involves talking. Like, that's part of it. Right? Just like, you can't just, you know, walk around and, and be a good person and think that's enough. No, you have to tell others. How would people know unless you don't tell them? He doesn't stop there. He actually, uh, so he's saying, hey, this is what you got to do. And then he tells us how. He says, be ready. All right, this literally means like be urgent, okay, or feel the urgency. He says, uh, be ready in season and out of season. All right, he says, it doesn't matter. All right, it doesn't matter if you feel like it or you don't, whether it's comfortable or uncomfortable, whether it's convenient or inconvenient. It doesn't really matter. He's like, you know, it, it, whether it's in season or out of season, it's like, you know, all you hunters out there, okay, I know, you know, you got your, like, your set seasons, deer season, you know, duck season, whatever it might be, and, and that season comes to an end, and, and then you wait till the next year till you can, you know, go hunting again. All right, this is like, this, it doesn't have that. He's like, it doesn't matter whether it's in season or not. He's like, all the time. This is like 24-7, be ready, feel that urgency in season and out of season all the time to correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and teaching. Now, when people are talking to others about Jesus, which is what we all should be doing, but probably most of us in this room struggle with that. Probably all of us in this room struggle with that. Um, the, uh, what I've noticed is that some people, they will correct but not encouraged. Like, they're really good at correcting. Like, you know, um, yeah, we'll tell people where they're wrong and, and, you know, where their belief's wrong and stuff like that, where they're not following truth, which is good, but only correcting is bad, okay? Usually doesn't go that well. Where, but then you got the other people who kind of flip-flop that, which is, let's be honest with ourselves, it's probably the majority of us in this room. We encourage and don't correct, See, Paul's saying, no, nah, you got to do both. Like, you got to correct them in their thinking. You got to correct them where they're wrong. Like, that's okay to do, and that's something that you should be doing. But you also got to do, you also got to encourage them with great patience and like a teaching spirit. It's like, that's part of it. All right, so that's the how. So we, we're to preach the word how in this way, and then he tells us why. Because the time will come. 
where people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, they will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. Other translations, they say, um, because they'll go to teachers who tickle their ears, okay, which is kind of funny, weird, if you think about that. But uh, it kind of gives you the sense of what people want. Like they, they want someone who's going to scratch the itch, okay, who's going to tell them what they want to hear. He says, they will turn away from, the hearing, from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. Now, Paul is describing the people that we see all over today, right? All right, Paul's describing, uh, he's describing a lot of churches that we see today. He's saying, this is what people are going to do, right? People in, in those days, people will take the Bible and they will pick and choose what they want to believe, meaning they're going to take the parts that they like about the Bible and they're going to reject the parts that they don't like. And when they do that, they're going to gravitate towards teachers who only agree with them. They're going to pick a church based on the good feeling that they have when they walk out the doors afterwards. Rather than on truth. I mean, we see this all the time. How many churches around us um, don't teach out of the Bible? There's a bunch of churches in Tiffin that don't teach out of the Bible. A bunch of churches in Seneca County that don't teach out of the Bible. Or what they do is they take the Bible out of context and they don't teach truth. It's like they make the Bible fit what they want it to, to, to say. It's, what we do is we forget that, let me just say this, that every section of Scripture, okay, this is something that I learned in school and is so true. Every section of Scripture versus, you know, whatever, um, you realize it only means one thing, Right? It only means one thing, right? How many times you've been to a Bible study where you sit in a circle or whatever and everybody goes around and it's like, well, you know, you read some verses and it's like, well, you know, that, this is what that verse means to me or these verses mean this to me or, oh, oh, that's good for you, but, but it actually means, means this to me and then at the end you don't know what the heck it means, you know? See, we have the tendency to take the Bible out of context to fit our belief to fit our way of thinking, and that's not right. right. We shouldn't do that. The author only means to say one thing. And as a pastor, you know, I don't sit around during the week going, oh, I wonder what they want to hear this week. Sorry, you know, I don't do that. I don't think, oh, I wonder how I can impress them this week. That's why, you know, I'm not very impressive up here. But... Uh, but when people go to church, right, they should not be, you know, should not ask, hey, is church teaching what I want to hear? Is this church teaching, you know, what I want to hear? That's not the question we should be asking. We should be asking, hey, is the church teaching what God says? That's what matters. See, here at Grace, we're committed to the truth. Like, who cares what I think? Who cares about my opinion, right? We should want to know what God says. The last few weeks, we've been talking about pain and suffering and work when it comes to telling people about, uh, about what Jesus has done. Like, not popular things, right? Last week it was all about suffering, right? Going through hard times and how life will get hard for us. Right? It's not a feel-good message necessarily. But so many people, they want to listen to podcasts and teachers and, and pastors where, where they're constantly being told, oh, no, 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 you're good enough. Right, you're good enough. God loves you where you're at, okay, which is, which is true. But, but you know, you, whatever, you know, all you have done good enough and you just need to love yourself and you need to, you need to follow your heart and, and you know, it's, it's somebody else's fault, right? It's not yours. It's just all this stuff. 
that we naturally want to hear, but it's not true. Paul's saying those people will turn away from the truth, and instead of the truth, they will follow lies. Or he uses the word myths or fairy tales. Like He's like, it's a good story. Sounds good, seems good, but it's not true. And they'll be wasting their lives. In the next verse, he says, but as for you. So he's like, that's what those people will do, all right? They're those people, they're going to be, you know, whatever they want to hear, that's what they're all about. But as for you, who's you? You're you, remember? Okay, where are you? The church. He's talking to Timothy and the church. He says, but as for you, Grace Community Church, Tiffin, Ohio, January, whatever it is, 2021, he says, but as for you, I want you to exercise self-control in Everything. Man, I wish he didn't put that word there. Like sometimes you're just like, come on, man. Like you couldn't even leave like any way, wiggle room around it. No, he doesn't say exercise self-control in some things or most things or when it's easy. He doesn't say that. No, he says exercise self-control in everything, like all the time. He says endure hardship, what we talked about last week. And do the, look at this word again, work. We've been looking at this word the whole time. Do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. We look at the word evangelist a lot and, well, maybe not a lot, but uh, we look at the word evangelist up here and it's like, you know, we automatically put that into some other category, it seems like. Um, Like a different position or a different class. But we're all supposed to be evangelists, right? Evangelist is somebody who tells people about Jesus. That's like all of us. Right? We're all in that position. We're all in that class. We're all doing this together. It's work for every single one of us in here that, that we are, you know, if we're truly a Christian, that's, it's on us. And so really what Paul's saying here is super simple. He's saying, hey, you need to, number one, have self-control in everything, but have self-control. Number two, endure hardship when it comes, but guess what? It is going to come, right? It's, it's coming. You're going to have to suffer a little bit and just do your work. Telling others about what Jesus has done. The most important news that anybody could ever hear. Like the best news that anybody could ever hear. He's saying that is what you need to do. He's telling this in his last words. Next verse. He says, for me, he's saying I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure is close. He's given us this imagery. He's telling Timothy this imagery of like an Old Testament offering where they would pour out like a glass of wine as an offering to God. So it's like a cup, right, that's full of you know, water, wine, whatever. And, he's, and it's just pouring out and it's almost empty. That's how Paul is viewing his life. He's just like, he's like my life's like just an offering to God. Like my life's God. I'm giving it over to God. And, and my life is just being poured out and it's almost gone. Like if he knew what an hourglass was, Right? Maybe he would use that. He'd be like, you know, my hourglass is almost up. It's just being poured out. It's draining away. And he says, and the time for my departure is close. Right? This is imagery of like a ship that uh, they would use these words for like, to describe like a ship that's tied to a dock. All right? And they start untying the ship, you know, one rope at a time. They bring up the anchor and the ship starts to leave the dock, depart all right, the dock to go home. This is what Paul's like. I'm, he's like, my de- time for departure, like, it's, it's here. My death is coming. All right, I know it. And I've fought the good fight, and I've finished the race. And I have kept the faith. He says, there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which is, 
which the Lord, by the way, the righteous judge, remember, he's going to judge you based on your work, okay? He's saying, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. He's talking about judgment day somewhere in the future. And not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. Saying all Christians who do the work, all Christians who look forward to, to him coming back. I mean, isn't that cool to think about? Okay. <laughs> Wake up, people. All right, that's supposed to be cool. I don't know. All right, isn't that cool to think about? Like, think about this. As if God hasn't given us enough. Every single person in here, we all deserve hell for eternity, okay? That's what we rightfully deserve. Like, that is the right place for us to go. But instead, God comes down 2,000 years ago, and he pays the price for everything that we've ever done wrong, which had been horrible for him, which cost him something. We don't think about that very much. It cost him something. And then, you know, and now not only do we not have to pay for everything we've ever done wrong, but we get to live with him for eternity. But not just that. He's saying, hey, guess what? I will use you and... Because I use you, and if you work, I'm going to give you a reward for that. Like it's sweet. I mean, this is what God's telling us. He's saying someday you will get rewarded for your work. Now, growing up, I was uh, I was all about football. Love football. Love to play football. Love to watch football. Um, that's why I'm big. That's why I'm such a big Ohio State football fan. And um, and I remember, you know. When you're like a little kid, you're playing flag football, then it gets to tackle in middle school, and it's just, it's just fun. I love practice. I love games. I love everything. But I remember my summer before my sophomore year at high school, you know what I wanted more than anything, more than playing football, is I wanted a letter jacket. Any of you guys ever have one of these? A lot of you guys did, right? In high school. People. <laughs> First service, it was like everybody was like, oh, yeah, you know, all right? But uh, you guys... Must have been, you know, I don't know what you were doing. <laughs> Working on your schoolwork, I guess. <laughs> I wasn't. Um, this is what I wanted, right? I had a couple friends that in their freshman year of high school, they got a letter jacket, and I was so jealous. I'm like, man, dude, I want one of those. You look sweet. You know, you, got, look, you look so athletic, you know, with it and all this stuff. And so what I did was I realized that <laughs> if I skip football my sophomore year and instead run cross country, I think, because I had run track the, the season before, I was like, I think I could probably get in the top seven, which is varsity, and uh, if I get on varsity, that I, you know, I, 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 get my, I get my letter, like before most of my friends. And so I was all about this. And so I ran, I, I ran cross country that year, and, and um, I'm not like a huge runner, okay? Like not a huge fan of running, but I ran hard and I worked my butt off to try to get, cause, you know, try to get that letter because I'm all about, hey, I want the varsity jacket. I want the varsity jacket. And then my rewards night at the end of the season, it's all done. And I remember going up there and finally getting my letter. And then I already, I knew I was getting my, yeah, you don't have to clap for that. <laughs> Half the people in here had this, okay. Um, but, uh, but I remember I already knew I was getting my letter, so I already had the jacket. And just being, and you got to like sew it on and stuff, which I didn't do. I don't know how that got on there, to be honest. <laughs> Must have taken it someplace. But, uh, but I remember, you know, wearing my jacket and just being like, dude, I look good, you know. Even right now, I feel good, all right. <laughs> Although it is embarrassing because I'm 33 and here I am up here wearing my jacket. 
But, you know, you put your pins on, you got some patches, and, you know, you got all this stuff. And, you know, I just remember, like, this was what I was all about. Like, this was the reward that I wanted to wear to show everybody how good, you know, how good I am at stuff, which, you know, I wasn't that great. I was probably the worst one on varsity. But, uh, you know, you walk into, like, a, like a basketball, you know, like a away game, basketball away game, and you walk into the gym, and you're like, yeah, Fremont's here. What's, I'm watching you. I'll see you out on the track or field. You know, it's just stupid stuff. Whatever. I need to stop talking about it and take this off. <laughs> Someone already took a picture during first service with this, and they're spreading it around. Here's Zach wearing his letter jacket. It's embarrassing. Uh, but uh, no, the glory days, man. Oh, so good. But uh, <laughs> never mind. But that's kind of what Paul's saying here. Man, I worked my tail off as something that I wasn't like naturally good at. All right, to, 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 to get my reward, right? So I can wear my jacket. Paul is saying the same thing. He's like, hey, you work your tail off. You work, like you compete. You work, like two weeks ago, we talked about like a farmer. He says, you compete like an athlete, all right? You, you try, you know, like a, like a soldier for his commander. He's saying, hey, you get rewarded for all your hard work. It's the same thing. You don't get a jacket, you get a crown. All right, crown sounds pretty good to me. All right, but... Uh, and after that, I went back to football. But uh, God's saying, hey, we will reward us for our work. And Paul is looking forward to that. Just like I did all that season, Paul is looking forward to his reward. And he's saying, guess what? You guys all get to share in this reward if you do your work. Next verse, Paul um, starts getting personal. He says, hey, Timothy, make every effort to come to me soon. Because Demas, he's deserted me since he had loved this present world. And he's gone to Thessalonica. And Christians has gone to Galatia and, and Titus to Dalmatia. He says, only Luke is with me. Right? This is the Luke that wrote the book of Luke. Right? He was a doctor. He says, also bring Mark with you. For he is useful to me in the ministry. Now, this is so interesting that he says this. Because we read in the book of Acts, which is interesting because Luke writes the book of Acts. What we read in the, in the book of Acts, which is like the history book of how the church started, um, that uh, Mark, who Paul is asking for, and his cousin Barnabas, right, who is more Paul's age. Mark was a young guy, kind of like Timothy. But Mark and Barnabas and Paul, they used to hang out with each other, right? They were friends. They would go, and they would go from city to city to city and travel together. And as they would go to all these cities, they would tell people about the great news about what Jesus has done, the gospel. And so when they would go from city to city to city, at one point, we don't know why, but Luke records for us in the book of Acts that Mark leaves, right? We see this in Acts chapter 13. Mark just takes off. We don't have a reason. We don't know what happened. But Mark leaves, and he goes back to Jerusalem. Well, then some time happens, and, and uh, a couple chapters later in Acts chapter 15, we know that uh, Paul and Barnabas, they're talking with each other again. They, they decide, hey, right, they finish all their, their trips, and they decide, hey, we know what we should do is we should go back to every city that we visited Every city that we started a little church in, and we should just go check on them, just to, just to check it out. And so Barnabas is like, hey, that's a great idea, Paul. Let's, let's do that. that you know, and uh, I'll go grab Mark. And then Paul's like, whoa, you can't grab Mark. Mark's not coming with us. No way. He left us. Remember, he abandoned us. You remember that? Barnabas, we're not, we're not giving him a second chance. We can't afford that, you know, that, that to happen again. 
And so Barnabas and Paul get so heated, they get such a big argument that actually Barnabas is like, well, we're leaving, you could go do whatever you want. And Barnabas grabs Mark and he goes and starts visiting cities. And, uh, and Paul, he grabs this young guy named Silas and he goes somewhere else. He goes the opposite way and starts visiting cities. And so it's interesting here that Paul is saying, hey, bring Mark with you for he is he uses the word useful to me. Because there is a time in Paul's life where he did not view Mark very useful. I wonder if it's that clarity thing at the end of his life where he's wondering, you know, if, if he's thinking about that. You know, I'm just wondering if he's thinking about that time, like, like what was going on with that. See, and I don't think Paul was in the right necessarily in that situation. Right, kind of messed him up, but see, it's not that Paul ran the race perfectly. We get that, right? He didn't run the race perfectly. He didn't live the perfect life by any means. We know that he messed up in that situation in Acts, but we also know that before he was a Christian, remember, he hated Christians. He was all about uh, killing Christians or having Christians killed. He drugged them out of their own houses and put them in prison, men and women. And now, you know, at the end of his life, he's looking back on his life and he knows that he made mistakes, but he wants to end well. See, too many times we as Christians, we... We mess up, and let's be honest, some of us, we mess up in big ways. And what it ends up doing is it derails us from our work, and it's because we feel like a hypocrite. Like, we think to ourselves, we're like, why would someone listen to me uh, about God, like, of all things, when they know that I did that? Or they know that I, do, that I struggle with this. See, Satan uses that to stop us from working. That's Satan. Satan uses that to stop us from working. See, it's not about being perfect. By the way, in case you didn't know this, you are far from perfect. All right? I am far from perfect. Paul was far from perfect. Paul described himself as the chief of sinners. Okay? He's like, I'm the worst sinner there is. Look what I used to do to Christians. See, yeah, we all fall down. We're all in the same boat here. Right? But we get back up and we continue our work. At least that's what we're supposed to be doing. In this last section here, Paul's saying, hey, when you come, bring the cloak that I left in trust with carpets as well as the scrolls and especially the apartments. He's like, hey, it's cold here. I'm in a hole. All right, bring, the, uh, bring my coat, if you would, and bring my, uh, my Bible and my notebooks, basically. He says, Alexander the coppersmith, he did great harm to me. Remember this? This happened in Ephesus. This is where Timothy's at. Paul actually almost died by a riot there. And he says, the Lord will repay him according to his works. Watch out for him yourself because he strongly opposed our words. Like he's against you. He says, at my first offense, my first hearing, he says, no one stood by me. But everyone deserted me. It may it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and he strengthened me so that I might, What? fully preach the word. So I might do my work, do what God has called us to do so I could tell others about what Jesus has done and all the Gentiles might hear it so the world, whole world can hear it was his goal. So I, rescued, so I was rescued from the lion's mouth. He says, the Lord will rescue me from every evil work. He will rescue me from whatever he wants to rescue me from and will eventually bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Meaning, I know I'm gonna die, but it's gonna be all part of God's plan. It says, to him, God, 
be the glory forever and ever. Amen. See, for us, man, Paul is such a great example for us. Like, even here, this is like maybe the worst days of his life. I'm sure it was. I mean, he's living in a pit. This is like the basement of a basement. He probably hasn't seen the sun in who knows how long. It's cold, it's wet, and he, you know, they're just throwing scraps of food down to him. And he is still using his little time that he has left to invest into people, right? To invest in the church, which is us, the group of people, to invest in Timothy. And what bothers me is knowing that people will listen to 2 Timothy for the last four weeks. We'll hear what the Bible says. We'll see it. We'll read it with our own eyes, right, on the screen. And we'll continue to live a wasted life distracted by dumb stuff. I mean, think about it. We've been doing this for three weeks time-wise, all right? What have you done in the last three weeks that's going to last after you die? What have you done? What have you done the last three weeks that will last? Well, yeah, we all got paychecks and, you know, we poured into our kids, sure. But what's going to last after we die? It's the only thing that lasts is us reaching people, us helping people find Jesus. And someday when we are lying on our deathbed and we know that we're going to die, and everything that we've worked in our life to accumulate is all gone because it doesn't matter because it's just going to belong to somebody else. And we get that clarity that they say that we'll get. For me personally, Zach Pinkerton, the last thing I want to feel is the, realiz- is the realization that I've wasted my life. I mean, it freaks me out. This is like last thing I want in the world. Like, like I don't want that, right, um, uh, with anything. And, and it's here we look at Paul, who was not perfect, who made major mistakes, worse mistakes than we've ever made, right? And, and that's not what he's feeling. Right? He's not feeling that way. Why? Because of his work. Because he started telling people about Jesus. See, the one thing I learned in cross country is, is there's no better feeling than after you've run your fastest race, right? Like, or in any sport, really, after you've played your best game. Like, you feel like you put in your all, right? You, you're, it wasn't perfect. Like, you didn't play a perfect game. You didn't run, you know, a perfect race. You could have gone a little bit faster, but you put in a ton of hard work, and the pain is gone, and you're tired, but you have no regrets. And you just feel satisfied. That is how Paul felt here at the end of his life, as he writes his last words, then no matter a days, most likely, or weeks before he dies. And that's what Paul wants us to feel today, or that's what Paul wants us to feel at the end of our life. And so what do we got to do to feel that, right? Like, what do we got to do? Well, he says it. He says, preach the word. Tell others about Jesus, Tell others about what Jesus has done. If you're a Christian, you already got it in you, all right? You already know, you know, what you need to know, okay? It's it's a part of you. We've looked at that the first week, all right? We should do that all the time, in season, out of season, whether it's convenient or inconvenient, whether we feel like it or we don't feel like it, whether whether it's comfortable or it's incomfortable, all right? We shouldn't stop. We, We shouldn't waste our precious time that God has given us. He's saying, preach the word. Endure hardship, because it's going to come. 
Don't let that catch you off guard. But do your work. And if you do that, your crown will be waiting for you someday. And if you do that, you won't be laying on your deathbed in the hospital or in your, you know, wherever that might be. And you won't have any regrets. And you will not think that you had a wasted life. In fact, you'll probably be looking for ways that you could pour into other people, just like Paul's doing. Don't live a wasted life. Don't waste your life. Let's pray. God, we um, thank you for these last words of Paul, who just a short time after this actually gets beheaded because he wouldn't shut up about talking about you. He wouldn't stop telling people about you. God, give us the boldness that you gave Paul. Help us to reach those around us, who are all around us. You give us just opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, especially those that we care about the most. God, help us to help them find you. The fact that knowing, just knowing that people around us that are on the path of hell, that should bother us. God, bother us with that. God, we thank you for caring about us and we thank you for giving us a second chance and dying for us. God, help us not to live a wasted life. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.